I mean, hey. Good morning, Father dear. Hope you're well. Are we taking the new Lexus to Aunt Patty and Selma's funeral today? Hmm, fabulous house, well-behaved kids, sisters-in-law dead, luxury sedan. Woohoo! I hit the jackpot! Marge, dear, would you kindly pass me a donut? Donut? What's a donut? And let's go. And coming at you from the basement of the basement of WCPTA 20 in Chicago, this is the Sports Cubicle, where the inmates run the asylum and our boss... He's getting all tomorrow morning because we're working overtime. Paulatius, I think you found an escape today. I saw you climbing that ladder and that other ladder. Yeah, yeah, I uh, found a secret portal onto the roof. Oh, the attic of the attic? The attic of the attic. It's really insane here. I mean, what's next? You're going to tell me that the Blackhawks finally traded Patrick Kane. Yeah, they did. And that uh, spring training is going, and both Chicago teams are doing fairly well. Yeah, that's happening too. And that the Bears' uh, first-round draft pick uh, might be going to prison. Possibly. I mean, they haven't drafted him yet, though. Paul, you're scaring me. What are the winning lotto numbers? Uh, I don't know, but I know 7-0 was the score of the Liverpool-Manchester United game. So 7-0. and zero. I need to make sure of my lotto predictions this week. I'll do the pick three. I need one more number. Um, how about six for the European championships that they've won? 7-0-6. You're gonna, we're going to do this? Sounds yeah. like an area code. Come on, man. Mercado! <laughs> uh, Take it away. There was some big news that happened over this week, and it may have been a <laughs> foregone conclusion that this was going to go down, but it officially has happened. The end of an era continues over at the Madhouse and Madison as Patrick Kane is now heading to the Eastern Conference as he is now a New York Ranger. They get a couple second round draft picks, a, a body and whatnot, but the big story, and we're going to get into something I found interesting over at The Athletic about this entire process, but marvelous one, someone who has done it all and might go down, maybe not for the longest time, but as of the time being until some other kids come up and finish taking his place, the best American-born hockey player of all time in the NHL, in my opinion. You got a, a Calder winner. You got a Con Smythe winner. You got a Hart Trophy winner. This is somebody who's won three Stanley Cubs, has hit – the, the biggest goal and arguably the biggest goal in Blackhawks history. And it has happened now, you know, the, the, the time for Jonathan Tays, whatever that is. And we know how scary of a situation it's been for him health wise, but Patrick Kane is now a New York Ranger. It really is the end of an era. And your thoughts when you heard this trade go through and that there will no longer be 88 at the United center. Well, he's 34 years old, and um, he was the first pick overall in the 2007 draft, and he uh, represented himself well uh, with the Blackhawks, obviously. Um, he represented the U.S. in the 2010 and 2014 Olympics as well, and uh, out of Buffalo. So I thought he might become a Sabre, honestly. But in any event, they won the Stanley Cup, as you know, in 2010, 13, 15, won the Smythe in 13. Hart and Art Ross Trophy, uh, scoring champion 2015-16. Uh, so he definitely is goes down in history as one of the one of the greats. We were talking about Bobby Hull not long ago. Mm-hmm. He's up there with, with Stan Makita, I think Bobby Hull in terms of Blackhawk lore. Of course, Stan Makita never played anywhere else, but Bobby Hull did. So 
it's not that unusual at the end of a career even you know you you look at <laughs> Brett Farr was an unusual uniform at the end and and uh, even I think Johnny Unitas might have been but uh, so it happens you know uh, and it was but if he wants to be in a winning team obviously he's he's not going to be doing that in Chicago right now even the Rangers it's a they're not the top team in the league, but they have better they they have a better record. So um, it's you know it, it was the right thing to do at this time, and hopefully what they got will pan out to be good for the long term. Because uh, you know at this point, again it's 34, it's you're towards the end of your career, but uh, he, he's a he's, he's a great one in Blackhawk lore, no question about it. Yeah, I mean I understand the fan base and a bunch of different you know, emotions mm-hmm. that the faithful of the Blackhawks and those that have stuck around since 2015, who have been there to watch all the different guys come and go. And, you know, we know how hard it is in the NHL to keep a roster together, but also this team wasn't winning and it was time maybe a few years ago to mm-hmm. pull this trigger and to really dismantle and try to look towards the future. And now they're trying to do that. And, you know, we, we can't ignore the fact that Patrick Kane had a, you know, we talk about Bobby Hall, uh, Patrick Kane had a very rough start and it was something, you know, from the taxi cab situation to everything that happened in, in, you know, the, some allegations. And, you know, I think for the most part, Patrick Kane has done a good job of, of kind of bouncing back and not, you know, keeping his, his nose clean and whatnot. But I do think it's important to tell the entire story that this was a, a dude who it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always clean, but he persevered and, you know, he, he continued to put in the hard work and he was somebody who was must see TV. And for a lot of people, he earned their trust back. And it's a shame that what happened since then, and we've seen, you know, all the other uh, reports of the hazing and what happened with the team doctor. And it, it's a shame that the, the dynasty, that the run kind of has to end like this, but it is just, uh, I think a time for Blackhawk fans, for Chicago fans to really in it, to really reminisce on how for 10 years, right. For, for that time period of let's even say from 2009, when they got to the conference finals against the Red Wings from that time on until they beat Tampa Bay at home in the United center to win their third Stanley cup in six years, that it was, it was Broadway. It was the show. It was the Beatles. It it was the closest thing we've, this city has ever seen since the nineties bulls, because it wasn't just good teams. You know, the San Antonio Spurs were good teams. It was a team of superstars. And one of the superstars was an American born player that was homegrown and drafted with other homegrown drafted guys. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a real full story with ups and downs. And I think that in itself is something that we all really just, when time comes, we're all going to realize just how special of a moment it was in time for those Blackhawk teams and to watch the career that was Patrick Kane, but Marvelous, I want to run this by you. This is a story that I saw over at The Athletic. This was by Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers, and it is called Inside the Patrick Kane Trade, How It Went Down and Why the Blackhawks Got So Little in a Return. And I'm not even necessarily worried about the the return, the haul, because in the NHL, you know, right now, everybody's tanking for the number one pick right now, although there is supposed to be a lot of talent in this year's draft from what some experts are saying. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with 
this 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 team moving forward in the draft and how they put this roster together. But how we got here, I think, was even more fascinating. So I want to just read this part. Kane's mm-hmm. surprisingly honest reaction to the Tarasenko trade, which seemed to rule out the Rangers as a potential destination for Kane, changed the dynamic. Kane said that he was, quote, not like the happiest, quote, to hear about the trade and flat out admitted that he was intrigued by the idea of playing for the Rangers. And Rangers GM Chris Drury surely saw that. There were other teams interested in Kane, such as Dallas, Carolina, Vegas, and Edmonton. But it became clear that Kane only had eyes for New York, and the Rangers knew it. Further destroying any leverage Davidson might have had, Kane's disappointment was not accompanied by a decision. And so more time passed, and more players around the league were traded for first-rounders. Not that anyone, not that anyone will ever say it publicly, but there was growing frustration within the Blackhawks organization over Kane's dithering. And you guys could read the entire article. They mentioned trading away Alex DeBrinkent and letting Dylan Strom leave as free agents as a big rift between the Blackhawks and Davison and the entire organization with Patrick Kane. So you hear that marvelous. And are you a little, what do you think the fan base reaction to Kane will be beyond the legacy, the frustrating part of will he won't he? the dragging of the feet, the, even though it's a big decision, they put themselves now in a position where it wasn't as value of a move as it could have been for somebody who's still a very dynamic player in today's league who could still score. What do you think about how it kind of played out? Well, I, I, I think that he would have had more value uh, earlier, mm. you know, perhaps a year ago. But uh, uh, the, the good news is, is that uh, he won't be coming to the United Center again this year, so we won't know how he's right. <laughs> how he's uh, going to be honored or, or received because they played their one game in December in Chicago. But um, I think that uh, all in all, He'll, he'll be always thought of fondly. I mean, you were talking about he did have his uh, accusations in the cab and the sexual assault and whatnot, but uh, he, he, he was pretty much a, 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 good, a good guy, you know, and, uh, with, and he, he was good with the media. And, he, and he, you know, he was faced the franchise with, with Taves for all those years and uh, three Castelli Cups, you know, that's pretty good, I'd say. And so uh, we'll always be part of Blackhawk lore. Um, no question about it. And, uh, you know, so here he, he has a chance to get to the playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs this year, as the Rangers will. And Blackhawks now have the second worst record in the league, only had a Columbus. But uh, we'll always remember that goal against the Kings to, to, to win it. In fact, I think it was against Jonathan Quick, who just got moved from the Kings to the, to the Golden Knights but uh, as a goalie, but uh, that will always be sort of the, the move that we think of, like Jordan shoving Russell out of the way for his final shot. <laughs> <laughs> that corner shot was, was pretty amazing. It was like, it was like an impossible angle uh, in the, right along the, the, the goal line, and he, he managed to get that winning goal to, uh, to get that, that Cub victory over the Kings, and that was, you know, the Blackhawk lore forever and ever. So that will be the kind of thing he's remembered for. And that's, that's what I said about Hall, too. I mean, uh, you know, you, you can look at their other their personal lives or whatnot, but uh, in terms of the athletics, and there's no, you know, there's, 
he's got he's got the the goods. And I even you know I even go back. I talked to you before. I mean, Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, now there's it's freaking gambling going on in yeah. baseball, which is ridiculous. But that's another subject. But Kane will always be a part of Blackhawk lore because of the Stanley Cups. No question about it. I 100 percent agree with the Pete Rose thing, and we could talk about that forever. But you know, sticking on target of what we're talking about, because we could go all day on uh, baseball, baseball writers of America, and some hypocrisy mm-hmm. that goes on. But I will say for Patrick Kane, yeah, there's, you know, obviously I, I turned 33 this year and one of the best sports moments of, of my life was sports moments is the 2016 Cubs winning the world series, right? That November mm-hmm. 2nd evening going into November 3rd, early morning and everything that happened, it's the greatest, greatest team, greatest season ever. And I'd argue that the 2013 Blackhawks or the two, even they may not have been the best team, but that 2013 Blackhawks team, there was something just special about it. It's it's my second favorite team that's ever won a championship in Chicago. And obviously that, that Flyers series, that Blackhawks team filled the void in this city. And people always kind of mm-hmm. ask, like, how did it how did it grab hold of Chicago for those many years? And it was the idea of the superstardom. They were fun to watch. It was a hot ticket, but they were it was magical. There was no the Bears weren't good. The White Sox hadn't won a world last one a World Series four years before the first time they got to the conference finals. And then the Cubs were still years away. And then you think about it, it kind of transitioned into the Cubs run. So there was something in the magical run of that time where, and I want to take back Chicago fans. In mm-hmm. 2009, when the Blackhawks are in the conference finals against the Red Wings, don't forget who's now making superstar plays in super in a huge big time series, Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah and the Chicago bulls. Right. And then you have this Blackhawks team going on runs and right. a white Sox mm-hmm. team that has a good division win and the Cubs. This was a golden era. Marvelous. Right. There was no question about it. It was a golden era indeed. And, uh, you know, with the, with the, the Cousins 16, of course, that's, <laughs> more than a generational <laughs> win at this point. I mean, it's uh, you know my my father didn't never saw that, and his father might have seen it. <laughs> I think so <laughs> back in the nineteen oh somethings. But uh, it's you know it's a thing. It's a, it's a, our the sports. You know what a, what a fan is. It's a fanatic. <laughs> it's a fanatic. So that's what we are. We're fanatics, and uh, and when there's success, it's it's marvelous, and we and we revel in it. Even you know I'm going to a bunch of high school games. And college games in the last week, and I and I revel in that. It was a, it was a, you know various college games, and it's always emotional to go to their senior night. So you know it's it's, it's quite interesting that way. So, um, but in terms of, of of that, with regard to that, it's uh, it's it's just a marvelous thing to uh, to experience. So I think it's just one of those moments that I think we all, you know, all the complicatedness. It is something that you can enjoy. You can be critical of, but at the end of the day, it was a, a, a time, a, a, a fabulous time. If you were a sports fan in Chicago to watch an all-time great in Patrick Kane do his thing and a team really cement themselves, not just in the city's history, but in all of sports history and help make a sport cool, help the NHL get to a point where they were going to make deals with Turner Network and ESPN again. And that's a lot to do with the Blackhawks, and the Penguins, and the Kings, and these teams of that era, and Patrick Kane was a big part of that. Before we get out of here, it's Connor Bedard. If Blackhawk fans, you want it, you're tanking, you're tanking for this kid, Connor Bedard. There haven't been 
you know, we even in the NHL, if you're not the biggest hockey fan, we all know if you're a sports fan, you hear who are the top guys, who's going to be the number one pick of a sport. This is that kid. So we'll see what happens with that. But what wasn't exciting was seeing Patrick Kane end up on a brand new ice mm-hmm. ring wearing a new sweater. But just because it happens. The, yeah, it happens just because the days have gone doesn't mean you can't reminisce. And it is a great time to reminisce about 10, 13 and 15 watching historic runs and historic teams. But we want to know your thoughts on the Patrick Kane t- trade as he is heading now to the New York Rangers. What did you think? Was it a little too, too soon, too early, too late? Should you have waited till the offseason? We want to know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Make sure you're keeping it tuned into the show in the next few weeks. We, you know, we have a savant in baseball on Paulie, but you talk about savants. Wait until you hear what the nuggets that the marvelous one has about college basketball over the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that. Return you to exciting 15th round action at the Canadian Football League draft. And so the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who scored only four rouges all last season, Jack. We are inching ever so closely to the big day, the big day in Bears history, a big day in NFL history, as we are just a few weeks away from the NFL draft, the 2023 NFL draft. And we will be covering all of the news later into that historic Thursday here on the Sports Cubicle. It's the marvelous one, Dan Marver. It's Devin Tingle. It's Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado. And, of course, it couldn't be a week without some interesting NFL news. And because the Bears are the number one draft pick, I've been telling this to Paulie, to anybody that would listen to my rants, that they control everything that's happening this NFL draft. Anything that happens to the Combine, anything that happens at free agency, anything that happens that weekend, they are determining how it starts and how it flows with that number one pick, what Houston does, what Indianapolis does, any team you could think between the Raiders, the Titans, and everybody in between. So that means any major story that breaks is going to involve the Bears on some level, some intrigue, what they're going to do with the number one pick. Well, Adam Schefter had that report came out that the Bears are leaning towards trading the number one draft pick Whoa, brain thing, like unbelievable. I am so smart. I am so smart. SMRT, of course, we call that in the industry out of town, quote unquote, stupid. He's not stupid. He does have connection. But because we are connected here on the Sports Cubicle, the Marvelous One, Devin here, Paulie, we've all been covering it. So we know that they were going to trade away that pick. It only makes sense. Then Ryan Polis himself came out and talked to the media and, if nothing else, confirmed it and an interesting take from Ryan Poles. You decided to trade the pick. Is that something you would want to do before or after the first wave of free agency? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there are some scenarios um, that it might benefit us to move, you know, before free agency, you know, opens potentially. Um, but again, when we get back with all the information that we've gathered from here, I think we'll have a better direction. Is that just because it would give you a clear view of, of what you need, or, or how would it be beneficial? Uh, a clear view of what we need, um, and there's scenarios where you could, you know, add players as well potentially, um, which again gives you some clarity on what you want to do in the draft how and free agency. Sorry, how does having the number one pick change how you approach this week? Yeah, it doesn't really approach. We're not going to approach it too much different. We're going to collect the information like we always do. Um, I think the volume of information just goes up. Hey, Ryan, has anything changed with, with Justin Fields and you saying he essentially have to be blown away to, to trade him? Anything changed in that regard? No, nothing's changed there. I saw you know the 
the deal from yesterday in terms of leaning one way or the other. You know, I think that's always been the case. We've always leaned that way because Justin did some really good things. I'm excited about where his game's going to go. Um, but at the same time, when you sit in our situation at one overall, you have to do your due diligence. You have to investigate everything. you got to spend time with those guys just to make sure we're making the right decision. Um, what's important to me, and I think everyone knows me by now and how uh, I want to treat our players, we'll be in communication with Justin along the way just to make sure that you know he knows what we're doing and nothing's a surprise to him. Have you talked to him already about yeah. that and the fact that there's going to be a lot of chatter about yeah. the quarterback position yeah. kind of until you guys make a move? Yeah, we anticipated this a while ago, so we've, we've been in communication with him. So we know that they are leaning towards trading that pick. We know that they feel like they're all in on Justin Fields. So now the rumors become, what are the Bears going to do? How low are they willing to go? Is it number four so they guarantee themselves Will Anderson or a Jalen Carter? Well, of course, people believe Jalen Carter is the best player in this draft. More than what you're going to get for Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. They're the guys who are going to get picked first because of the quarterback. That doesn't mean they're the best player. Well, Devin, as of this recording, here on the Sports Cubicle, warrants are out for the arrest of Jalen Carter, ex-Georgia star and NFL draft prospect, just minutes before he was to meet the media at the NFL Combine. This is from ESPN. Police have secured arrest warrants for former Georgia star Jalen Carter, stemming from the top NFL prospect alleged involvement in a fatal crash involving a teammate. The Athens clark County Police Department announced Wednesday that Carter will be arrested for reckless driving and racing. The announcement came hours after the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported that Carter was present at the scene of the Jan 15 crash and later provided shifting accounts of the wreck to police. Devin Wilcock, an offensive lineman for the Bulldogs and recruiting staff member, staff member Chandler LaCroix were killed in what police initially reported as a single vehicle accident. Details of the investigation released Wednesday cited evidence that Carter and LaCroix were, quote, operating their vehicles in a manner consistent with racing shortly before the fatal crash. Carter is the number one overall prospect in this year's draft, according to ESPN's Mel Kuyper Jr. He is not participating in the workout portion of this week's NFL scouting combine in Indianapolis, but will conduct interviews with teams, undergo a physical, and a schedule to address reporters Wednesday, which of this recording he has not. So, Devin, it's been a busy week. And as of this recording, late into Wednesday afternoon going into Thursday, this is somebody I think we all agree the Bears were targeting. Jalen Carter, Will Anderson. Mm-hmm. If they don't get off the top five, do you think, what is your initial thought of what's going on here with this incident that's just breaking? You didn't know about this as of us cracking the mics. That what could be a future Bear is in this situation now where lives were lost and he lied to the police. Let's be real here. This man is not going to play in the NFL. If he does, he's going to go to the Raiders because that's where they all the trouble players go. <laughs> it's not the Raiders. Definitely New York Jets here. But I'm not too concerned, Mercado. Is this is the NFL draft, and they can trade up for or trade down for another guy in the round. They can trade for multiple picks in the second round. They can pull a Bill Belichick and have no first round pick, but have like 16 other picks here. I'm not too concerned here, though. The Bears have control in this draft, as you're saying here, and there's a lot of great young prospects out there that aren't just quarterbacks. But that's all you know. Everyone wants to talk about nowadays here. So I'm not too concerned. But at the same time here, it does lead to the point of 
what's going to happen with the rest of the draft here now because that was one of their big target guys here. But now it's, it definitely kind of gives more freedom, I guess, is the Bears could probably trade this to anybody because I think, you know, in that first uh, 31 rounds there, your first round draft pick, you know, I mean, we've heard some real, you know, horrible horror stories about some uh, first round draft picks. We won't talk about what the Bears did with their uh, second overall pick a few years back. <laughs> Mitch. But I'm not too concerned, Mercado, here. I mean, I'm not expecting the Bears to be you know, a 17-0 uh, team here, but I'm definitely expecting closer to 500 this year. So I'm all for you know decent draft picks, building through drafts, and maybe getting another veteran with this first-round draft pick. I believe that they still are in play to draft Will Anderson uh, and Jalen Carter. I believe even with this incident, Jalen Carter's still in the, the, in the cards for the Chicago Bears. If they believe he's the generational player that he is, the interior lineman that you could get from from like an Aaron Donald, I think they're willing to take that risk. I think if Will Anderson falls to them and they're able to get to number five, number seven, number eight, and he's for somehow some miracle of the football gods, they'll go that direction. I think what's really fascinating is to see how this affects Jalen Carter, both civically and with the judicial system and how it, it will affect his draft status in the NFL. I always thought, you want to draft a guy that got that, that's getting demoted because of marijuana use. But I don't know about cases where people died. You know? Like, I think it's a... When trouble players are somebody like a uh, Jeremy Tunsil who got caught doing a gravity bong, that's the thing and it cost him and he ended up making being one of the best offensive linemen. That's a trouble player you go after. Is this worth it? I, no. And that's where it becomes fascinating. You also bring up the free agency. I think there's a good chance this year the Bears don't spend a lot of money in free agency because we're already starting to see the things they would... The, the positions they would go after are starting to get sealed up within their own teams. So... It's going to be interesting if they use the number one pick to grab as many assets in the draft, in the first round, the second round, the third round, to try to bulk up a roster that needs it. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there, and I definitely don't want them to spend a lot in free agency because I've been seeing so much clickbait about how the Bears are going to go after Shaquan Barkley. I don't want a guy who has never done a complete season to don't stay Don't spend healthy. money on running backs. Exactly. That's the yeah. worst thing you do. They learned that with Matt Forte the hard way. But he was that, great, but like, you know. Towards the end of his career, though, yeah, that it was, was not a, worth yeah. that money the Jets gave him. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely just where the Bears are at right now, it's just right now you need to get a veteran and you need to build through the draft, though, here. Because, again, we learned getting old players does nothing for you here, though. And, of course, my big thing, though, with the Bears in this draft pick, it's going to be real hard to trade it right now because Aaron Rodgers doesn't know where he wants to play yet. So, and you bring up an interesting point that we're going to cover up until draft day, up until free agency of where the carousel is. We talk about the birthday boy, Pauly Shavari, and his favorite team, the Raiders. They lose, they lose Derek Carr. Where does Derek Carr fall into all of this? Are they going to be in on the Caleb Williams experience? How much they believe in Josh McDaniels? It's something he and I have debated for a long time. But that's just one team. What are the Jets going to do? What are the Packers going to do? What is San Francisco going to do? with Tampa Bay? A bunch of teams out there that are trying to figure this out. And right now, the Bears are in a driver's position, but have to be smart. And this is just a, for lack of a better term, a, a detour, a roadblock in the road to the NFL draft for the Chicago Bears and what happened with Jalen Carter. We'll see what happens with Carter and this story. But with that, we're going to be all over it. It is going to be an interesting story. Let us know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at SportsCubicleTV. Are the Bears going to stay at number one? If the Bears do trade down and they're still within the top four or five picks, would they go with Jalen Carter or are they going to lean with Will Anderson? Let us know your thoughts. For the Marvelous One, Dan Marver. For Paul Shavari, it's Devin Tingo. I'm Mike Mercado. (laughs) 
So there's been some good news. There's been some bad news. But there has been some baseball finally as spring training is here. It's not just a dream. Spring is around the corner and we have some stuff we got to get to. So it is the Paulacious one. Paul Shivari joining me, Mike Mercado here on the Sports Cubicle. Of course, Devin Tingle and the marvelous one, Dan Marver, throughout the entire show. So, Paulie, I'm going to give you a chance here. You know, here in the Sports Cubicle, we really don't keep things tidy. We have a, a box right here full of just old garbage, old stuff, and I have a few uh, baseball stories. So, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to go ahead and start rummaging. You know I like a good rummage. I love being able to. Let's see what I pull out. And... Okay, I pulled out White Sox manager Pedro Grafal on running his first spring training. So, Paulie, this is his first spring training going into this season. It's a new regime. And an article came out over at The Athletic kind of talking about his first weeks as the head guy now of an organization. And there was just some interesting kind of funny bits that I thought... Pedro Grafal kind of came off as. I think he comes off as a very likable dude. Yeah. And he mentions this, how boring it is to have just stacks of paper and paper just in his back pocket because they're installing a new culture, a new system. And I think for my, the big takeaway I, I took from this is him trying to, I don't know if the word is legitimize his hire, but it seems like this is a dude who loves the game and is all in on his young roster or this roster that they put together. Your thoughts on Pedro Grafal's first few weeks as the head manager, as the, the head ball coach of your Chicago White Sox? It's still way too early to judge him, especially since the last time you and I talked, You know, I, I said don't put too much stock into spring training, and it's been so hard to you know, be comfortable with the fact that Leori Garcia is probably not going to hit anything. Although he had a home run yesterday, which was nice. But, uh, you know, it, it, and, and as far as Grafal trying to come across as likable, I, I think he has no choice. You know, it was... Uh, he, he's he's Rick Hahn's first like real managerial hire. The fan base is a little upset at the way things used to run or, or, or currently run at, at the ball club. So he has to be kind of Mister Likable. But I think that was part of the reason. I, I don't know if it's necessarily he's putting on uh, a persona. I think this was this was the guy that won the job. This was the personality that won the job. So I think you're seeing, um, you know, for lack of a better description, a Ted Lasso type, sure. which is you know Mister Positive and going to see the best in everything and just try and utilize what he's got. But I think he also has no choice but to. You know, this is a guy that might not ever get another man- managerial opportunity ever again, so he's got to take advantage of the one that he's got right now. And and you've seen how it works. Uh, guys that are great at managing, if, if, the, if he can turn this club into a consistent winner, then you've got teams like the Yankees looking at him. You know, the teams that will consistently put good winners out there and they see that, okay, this guy knows how to build success out of nothing. So we're going to try and poach him away from the White Sox. You should check out this article if you are tuning in to the Sports Cubicle. It's by James Fegan over at The Athletic. White Sox manager Pedro Grafal on running his first spring training. I wanted to read this. Once you're hiring a new manager, you're expecting change, Grafal said. Reiterating, every organization is trying to find new angles. Quote, it's really not about old school. It's not about new school. It's about we're all in school, right? I felt like there's some tradition here. There's history here. There's hunger for new information that we talked about, and we're just going to blend it together. I like that quote because we can dissect that on so many different levels. The analytics department was being ignored by Tony La Russa. 
And there was, I think there still is a lot of room in this game for managerial gut decisions. That there is the, just the, the sixth instinct, the, the sixth sense of being able to understand this is just not going this way. This is leaning towards this way. But numbers are important in this game. Mm -hmm. Stats are important and probability and projections. Like this is all one thing. So to hear somebody kind of come in, even if it is cliche, I think that is a very important thing to hear from for White Sox fans from the new manager is we're going to try to blend everything together. And I think that's only fair. I I think... I don't know how much LaRussa did or didn't follow the analytics, but he was very upfront about that from day one that, you know, once the, you know, you can analyze everything you want and read into everything you want, but once the game starts, it's the game. And I think that's true. The analytics don't win the championships, the players win the championships. At the same time, we don't know now with the changes in the game how the analytics are going to change at all. You know, you have a guy that might have been batting, like Joey Gallo might have been batting sub 200 or near 200, but now that there's no shift on him, you might see those numbers increase. So, you know, I think it's case by case basis. I think analytics give you an informed decision, but at the end of the day, you got to go with your gut. You know, the the analytics might say, okay, you have a series of right-handed batters coming up. This left-handed pitcher is not going to do well against them. But at the same time, there's clearly that pitcher must have had success against right-handed batters. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in the show. And that's why it's really important also that your manager, that your staff, both whether it's the training staff, the nutrition staff, or the coaching staff that have good relationships with their players. And Grafal bring this up, brings this up in this James Fegan article over at The Athletic. Grafal has taken a different track after communicating with players during this offseason. I told them this today, that you've all won at some point, somewhere, Grafal said. You guys have a really good feel of what winning is about and what a good environment is about. Why wouldn't I want to ask those type of questions? Why wouldn't I want them to share with me what they feel is a good culture? So we've had a lot of good conversations individually, and now we've got to put it all together. This is something that it seems was lacking from the Tony La Russa era where the players were capping for him. They were defending him. They were staying faced because they were troopers. But it didn't seem like it was reciprocated, that they were listening to the roster, that they were listening to the players, that that swag, that coolness kind of left the White Sox during that two-year era of Tony La Russa coming back. And this is coming, and you and I may, you may disagree, but this is coming from somebody who isn't a White Sox fan and was saying, this is a pretty cool team. And then they bring in the Hall of Fame baseball person, and as he likes to call himself, and it just changed everything. It all died the second that your mean Mercedes hit that like yeah. that garbage time home run, yeah. and that the, the egregious thing that Larusa did was he was uh, okay or content with Minnesota wanting to throw at him, and and I think that's that's the second he lost the the locker room, and the second that you know maybe maybe they were being a little more policed than. The, the marketing department would have you, you know, uh, suggest with the change the game and all of the slogans that they try to convince us that, you know, this is the cool kids team when really it wasn't. But it, it, it didn't help either the, um, you know, Tim Anderson, uh, not not that Josh Donaldson was in the right to call him Jackie Robinson, but uh, Tim Tim Anderson to uh, be upset about that and that, you know, all the players trying to protect him over that. And it's just like, hey, you, you got to let it go. You, you, you got to have thicker skin than that. And I think this team was already a mess from the get-go the second they hired Tony Larissa. The team was kind of a mess beforehand uh, with structurally kind of how they were and the fact that some of these prospects didn't work out. The fact that they just can't consistently develop players. They haven't really developed a good pitcher in a long time from draft to start. Uh, 
their scouting department, their analytics department. You know, so it it was just things got a little bit magnified, and and Tony Larusa didn't help matters either. But at the same time, I think when you look at it from a um, uh, metaphorical standpoint, you know, may, maybe it was the right move to begin with. Maybe it exposed all the things. You know, maybe we'd still be mired in the muck or the mediocrity that that Rick Hahn uh, said way belong uh, before they started the rebuild. You know, may, maybe they needed these things to happen in order to accelerate where they are now. The only hope at this point is that they are following analytics. Guys are healthy. They are developing guys, and that Pedro Grafal can really push the right buttons to make everything work. You are tuned in to the Sports Cubicle here on WCPT 820 AM. It's the Paulacious One, Paul Chivari. It's Devin Tingle and the Marvelous One, Dan Marvel, throughout the entire show. I'm Mike Mercado, and this is from the article written by James Fegan over at The Athletic. White Sox manager Pedro Grafal on running his first spring training. And it's going to be something we keep our eyes on throughout the entire month of March. What's going on in Arizona with the White Sox. And, of course, Baseball Weekend Journal will be all over that and all the major news. In Major League Baseball. I think we have time, Paulie, to go rummaging one more time here on the Sports Cubicle. Let's see what we find. Oh, man. Devin's got a lot of scuff in here. We got to make him clean up and uh, we'll see what happens. Looks like you might uh, need a tetanus shot if you reach too far into there. Ow! When Sia Suzuki is off screen, vision of next great Cubs team gets blurrier. And this is by Patrick Mooney of The Athletic. And if you're a sports fan and you're listening to the Sports Cubicle, check out The Athletic. They have great deals. And if you could get that six months for $1, do it. It is an asset for all sports fans to get this type of, of information. So this has to deal with Sei Suzuki now being injured. And this is the part of the article I wanted to kind of bring home because it's, it's a little worrisome. So, around the time of Suzuki's Mike Trout I Love You press conference, Wilson Contreras was on deck for the trade deadline, talking about free agency as a dream come true. Dansby Swanson, the shortstop for the defending World Series champions in Atlanta, had not yet made an all-star team or won a gold glove. So the idea of leaving his hometown team to sign a $177 million contract would have sounded far-fetched. Ian Happ and Nico Horner were first-round picks with big potential and inconsistent or limited track records. Marcus Stroman can still opt out of his contract after the 2023 season. Then and now, a tech-savvy farm system appears to set up to produce depth at major league level more than a superstar prospect. That vision of the future, though, gets blurrier when Suzuki is out of the picture. There is no timetable for his return to the game after Tuesday's reveal that he had diagnosed with a moderate left oblique strain, an injury that's particularly difficult to predict terms of recovery process. And then we found out later on into the week, there's a chance he'll be on the IL in the start of the season when opening day comes. There's some optimism. There's also cautious optimism where it's like, yeah, it could still end up the other way this Cubs season where... 70-something wins. And I, I mean, what what about this roster tells you that they're going to be world beaters? I don't think anybody thinks world beaters, but if you look at okay, a week at Let's say division winners. You look at, well, it all comes down to how that infield is, the pitching staff depth, and if Cody Bellinger is able to bounce back, if you have a healthy Sam Suzuki. The idea is, is you have a roster good enough defensively with some pop in the bats to win a week and El Central. But... If you don't have your outfielder stud that you spent a lot of money on, 
and you don't have a Justin Steele, if Marcus Stroman isn't pitching well, if any of these kids like Wisniewski or whoever you have coming up, it, it becomes an issue for this Cubs team. It could go a lot of different ways. I still think they have one of the better defensive infielders, defensive infields in major in the National League at the very least. In the division, I think they're the best defensive team in the, in the NL Central. So if you stand close games, it might win you something. But You've got Nolan Arenado and and Paul Goldschmidt though in your division. Yeah, and then you have Nico Horner, Nico Horner, and uh, Swan, uh, Dansby Swanson in up your middle. Yeah. So it's like arguably, and, yeah, who are the corners better or your? And, and it's not really like football where defense wins you championships. No, defense no. will help you. Yeah. Always defense will help you yeah. win championships. But in baseball, yeah. you need to score runs. So yeah. I. I look at this team and I'm not blown away by it. And it was kind of like what you're saying, you know, Suzuki's injured and now you're talking about how the team is compromised. And, you know, we're not even talking about how, you know, the question marks about Eric Hosmer or Cody Bellinger or even Trey Mancini. Uh, Who will be playing because you know, Suzuki is. Do you look at Tucker Barnhart as a guy that is that truly going to be the guy that's going to, you know, captain behind the dish as your, your guy to take you to the playoffs? What happens with a... Pete Crow Armstrong, what mm-hmm. happens with a Brandon Davis? Mm-hmm. There's like guys that are, there are young outfielders that are also in play. Christopher Morrell, Patrick Winsdom, where's David Bodie on this? Like these mm-hmm. are bats that you need to count on because say what you will, that first half before the second go around with the pitching, and even then it was a little adjusted, but then the injuries came. Say you look like a professional hitter. Mm-hmm. So at the very least, you're like, that's a bat that now. No, it's a smart move. move. They they got him for I think for the value. Yeah. It was great. Mm-hmm. You know, and and yeah, is the team built around him? Not necessarily, no, but. but he it's a it's a devastating loss to the lineup. But at the same time, if if you're looking at that, then I think that big picture, you're looking at probably a team that's high seventy wins, low eighty wins yeah, I agree. as as their ceiling. Um, things could work. I mean, but but I think in order for this Cubs team to be a 95-win team, everything's got to click. Everything. Everything's got to Everything. click. Guys gotta, certain guys in the pitching staff have to have career years. Rookies need to come up yeah. from the farm system yep. and, and, and play and they, well. And they have truly more depth than I think when you look at the White Sox. You know, they sure. have way more depth where, you know, a couple of key injuries in the White Sox are going to be wondering what to do this year. Tough. You know, yeah. if you look at the White Sox, if like Dylan Cease... If, um, gosh, I don't even know offensively who it would be. I guess Tim Anderson will say. Yeah. Um, and, and then, Andrew and then, Vaughn. And then, yeah, or, or Andrew Vaughn. Let's say, let's say Anderson or Vaughn if uh, Cease and if uh, Kendall Graveman get injured. I don't know if you have a team that's good enough to get to the playoffs. And that's what's frustrating because I believe the White Sox are good enough where if they had properly built their depth, mm-hmm. they could hang around through devastating injuries. And I just don't think it's worked out that way for them. Who they've decided to go with, the guys they have decided to go with, hanging on to Gavin Sheets at this point, when it, there's there's things that like they can do to remedy some of the the blemishes and some of the wounds that they're gonna have. But I don't know, like that's that I frustrates th- me. I thought as soon as Liam Hendricks announced that he was going through cancer treatment, I yeah. thought for sure the White Sox would try to inge- address a pitching concern, and, and then the fact that right now we don't even really know if Mike Clevenger is going to play this season. And that and that whole story. I mean, we talked about it last week, but like that in itself, bringing themselves a headache like that, mm-hmm. when nobody else in baseball was putting themselves in that position, and they decided to. But to to have like no backup plan, and then and then here here's what I thought too. If if you, right now they're looking at it of like, okay, well we're waiting to hear what the league says about Mike Clevenger. 
let's say Clevenger is found to, um, you know, he, he did the acts that his uh, baby mama said that he did. He's going to be out for a season. That creates an opening in the starting lineup. Are the White Sox going to be just so bold to get Trevor Bauer? Because he's been reinstated, but no one wants to touch that. Man, I don't know. And I, I don't think they will, just because I don't think the White Sox want to spend $20 million or whatever it is to, to go and get him. Because I think he's I think he's officially released by the Dodgers, isn't guaranteed any money, so he starts from scratch. But it's going to be a lot of money to get a guy, a guy like Trevor Bauer. But but at the same time, that's, that's the type of talent that they need right now in their starting rotation. So this is why I'm a little bit more confident in the Cubs in a weak division. And I think the White Sox would be better off if... Even in a weak division themselves, look at these numbers. Offensively, the Cubs are going to struggle. But listen to some of these pitchers that might not be that that aren't even going to be in the starting five, and some of them will be named. But Azali, Javier Assad, uh, Caleb Killian, you have uh, Adrian Sampson, you have Drew Smiley, Justin Steele, Mark Stroman, Jamison Tyone, Keegan Thompson, Hayden Wesneski, Rowan Wick. Like they have. Both in the bullpen and starting rotation, and a lot of depth. Kyle Hendricks anymore? Kyle Hendricks is going to be gone for the first sixty days, so we don't even know if Hendricks will be on the rotation. I don't even know if Hendricks is going to ever truly regain the form. Think he about was that, though. His, yeah, the re- rotation is at a point now where if I were to tell you, like Kyle Hendricks, the guy who you would think would age the easiest, yeah. won't even be on it, that, and you won't miss a beat. They have done, especially since they got Car- Carter Hawkins from Cleveland. That the the foundation, the pitching depth from yeah. the entire they were kind of building this before Hawkins though, and I think it just kind of that was the 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 final like. But, thing, but this is where I, yeah. I think they don't have to worry about a Hendricks, you know, like yeah, the, exactly. They, they they have so much talent, and that's things I think they'll continue to have talent for the next few years. Where if you know one of those guys gets injured, you might have someone come up right away. You guys can check out the entire article by Patrick Mooney over at the Athletic. When Seiya Suzuki is off screen, vision of next great Cubs team gets blurrier. We'll be all over the Chicago Cubs, the Chicago White Sox, and everything that happens down in Arizona. And Paulie, of course, we were wrapping things up. You saw something that hit the Twitter feed. What was it? This is insane. Yeah, Friday morning, Sun Times has an article written by Steve Greenberg talking about Jose Abreu, and it's it's Jose Abreu on life with the Astros and leaving the White Sox, who quote weren't a family in 2022. And one of the quotes from Abreu says, "When you're at a place where maybe you're not being respected to the point where you think you should be, you just have to go somewhere else." And he, he um, you know, it's like he he wanted to finish his career with the White Sox, but um, you know, he he. Uh, just kind of understood that they were clearing a path for Andrew Vaughn and that they weren't really kind of focusing on him anymore. Um, says he still keeps in contact with certain members of the White Sox and that he's just a little stung by how it worked out. But, um, you know, there, he's not... Um, I'm trying to look for the... Ex- um, you know, there's not like animosity or anything like that. And this is written by who? Steve Greenberg. Steve Greenberg over at the Chicago Sun-Times. Sun-Times. So make sure you guys check out the entire article. And you're, this is something you're going to have your eyes on as... The months, the season goes on, and even years on the relationship on the players of this White Sox era, right? Yeah, that's I. I don't know. It's uh, it, it's sad to see him go because you know you're talking about a guy that impactful after after Canerco left. Abreu was pretty much the guy, and there was no fanfare, you know. And you knew that it might be his last game, but he didn't get that standing ovation that Wilson Contreras got before the trade deadline. And there wasn't any announcement by the team that oh, this might be his last game. So I just I'm I'm happy to see him find success elsewhere, but I feel like we let a good player slip away, and I feel like the way we constructed the roster, this was kind of maybe always going to be the case, and we just 
we're kind of closing our eyes to it because we expected him to be hoisting a championship trophy before it happened. It's going to be one of the most fascinating things we look back at over the years on what was that White Sox team, that era of White Sox. We talk about going down in the history books for so many different reasons. It's going to be interesting to see how history plays out those White Sox. With that, we want to know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Say Suzuki is out, might miss the opening day of the Major League Baseball season. What are your thoughts on that? How much is impact the Chicago Cubs. Pedro Grafal, his first spring training. Your thoughts on the new look White Sox? Let us know all over the socials. They're playing Before we shut down in the next few weeks, it will be March Madness time, tournament time. You got one minute. We'll let you get some of the steam off. How many <laughs> Illinois State schools go right now over under one and a half making the turn? I think Northwestern's still in because of that week they had with Purdue and Indiana and Iowa, even though they've stumbled now with Maryland and and and, and Penn State. So uh, I think that they in Illinois. So I think they still have have a great chance in terms of that. Now it depends on some of the minor conferences. You never know how that's going to go in terms of Illinois schools. But I don't think there's anybody that has a chance among those. And uh, the Illini is it going to be the Illini? Well, we don't have to worry about Loyola anymore because they're like they have 20 losses. <laughs> but uh, in terms of Illinois schools, I mean. Looking at Northwestern, uh, Illinois, possibly. I think they're in the, on the fence. And uh, also, Northern Illinois would have to win the, the conference championship <laughs> to get in in a one-bit league. And the others are the same way, like a Western Illinois or Southern. Neither, neither of them have a chance. So uh, <laughs> what do you think? No, I'm with you. Think it's, two, it's two, two teams. It's two teams. <laughs> it's the two Big Ten teams. And it's a shame that DePaul and UIC and Chicago State and some of these other teams mm-hmm. can't get it together. It's one of the greatest – you know, uh, 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 fields of lunch. Just you talk about the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois is just filled with wonderful basketball players and kids that are ready to do it from all walks of life. And, you know, it's nice to have the Illini and the Wildcats in the tournament, mm-hmm. but man, it'd yeah. be so much better if there were some blue demons in there if there were some flames in there, if there were some ramblers right. in there. Well, there's no question about it. In fact, it's kind of interesting as a DePaul um, ticket holder. They beat Xavier in January yeah. to go to 8-9, and nine, mm-hmm. and Xavier was ranked 6th in the country at the time, and they've not won a game since. They're 8-21. and 21. <laughs> so go figure. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> you know what? And we'll be on by, you know, we'll, we'll be 100% transparent. You know, obviously, marvelous. We all know his credentials and how what his affiliations to all these yeah. schools, both on the collegians and yeah. on the high school level. My wife, a graduate of both DePaul and mm-hmm. UIC, and getting her PhD mm-hmm. at UIC. So it'd be nice oh. because I am claiming those as well because I'm only I, I also. <laughs> I'm getting credit yeah. for those doctorates. So right. well, I yeah. need these schools to be good so I can lose money exactly. through DraftKings because of these schools. On that yeah. note, Marvelous, I yeah. can't wait to talk about the tournament with you. It's sure. going to be super exciting. And that will do it for this week's edition of the Sports Cubicle. For Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, Dan Marver, I'm Paul Shavari. Thank you for listening to WCPT 820, where facts matter. Santita starts your week tomorrow, 6 a.m.